thanks for choosing to download this PGSM podcast on relative energy deficiency in sport and the health and performance consequences it can cause to our patients. My name is Dr. Liam West, and I am very lucky to be joined on the line by Professor Margot Mountjoy. Professor Mountjoy is perfectly balanced to tackle this topic as she combines being a globally renowned academic, an accomplished teacher in her role as a clinical professor at McMaster University and an eminent sports and exercise medicine clinician. Welcome to the podcast, Margot. Thank you very much, Liam. It's a pleasure to be here to share, share my passion for REDS. The IOC Relative Energy Deficiency in Sport Consensus Statement was first published in 2014. It was updated in 2018, and it's now been updated again through a lot of work in 2023. For those listeners that might be new to this topic, can you give a brief overview to what this consensus statement entails and how it's changed over the past five years, please? Lots has gone on in the field of science of REDS over the past five years, which is the impetus for the IOC to say, okay, we're going to need to have an update. So there are many uh, changes that, that we are excited about, in particular around uh, the models of what body systems are affected by REDS. We've added some new body systems. So in particular, urinary incontinence, sleep disturbance, growth and development and skeletal muscle function are some of the areas that we've added to that wheel of body systems. And that means there's been an existing science in the interim time period to support the addition of of those new findings of body systems affected. In addition, there's some other changes that we've uh, introduced as well. We've introduced a new physiological model to explain nuances. We've talked a little bit more this time about the mental health outcomes We've also introduced a new clinical assessment tool, body composition guidelines, and research guidelines for those individuals who are studying in this field. So as you can see, lots of new things and uh, lots of rich learning for people who want to dive into the consensus statement and listen to the podcast. I feel like whilst I've got you on the line, I'm going to try and get some help and hopefully it will help our listeners. So in clinic yesterday, I had a 16-year-old athlete, Sam, who presented with a bone stress fracture. And I actually suspected Reds to be at play. Um, They'd been under pressure from their coach to lose weight, it's often the case. They were using weekly skin fold measurements to monitor their progress. After developing the pain that they had, they really struggled because they weren't able to train. There was social isolation. They had increased stress levels due to the inability to train. This led to poor sleep, poor performance. And in their recent school exams, it's a common picture. Uh, many of our listeners will, will really encounter this. Can the new consensus statement help improve the care that I currently give for Sam? Absolutely. Poor Sam. <laughs> He's having a hard time. Uh, so there's so much to unpack in his case for certain. I think I'd like to start with just looking at where he's at right now. And I think mentally we could probably agree he's not in a great space Um, There are things there that are concerning to me that maybe allow him to become in in REDS. And that are things like um, potentially eating disorders from from the pressure to lose weight, the drive for thinness. He probably has some perfectionist tendencies. These are things that we've learned in the last few years are actually risk factors for developing REDS. But indeed, we spend some time looking at the mental health outcomes, as I mentioned just previously, of REDS, and he's got some of them. Things like reduced sleep quality, reduced well-being, um, perhaps some exercise dependence, 
And it sounds like he's got some anxiety, maybe some mood fluctuations. So some of these things that you're seeing may at, at the surface level look like, oh, they're just response to injury. But in fact, they actually might be outcomes of the energy deficiency themselves. So this would be triggering me to be thinking about including a mental health specialist in your care of Sam. In addition, we have some more information on the bone treatment of bone stress injury um, and looking both at diagnosing and in treatment of that. So I think there's lots in the consensus statement that will help clinically unpack a complex patient like Sam and help him. I'm glad you agree this is a complex patient. So how do I confirm and diagnose my suspicion of REDS in Sam's case? Right. So that confirmation historically we used to focus on this threshold of 30 30 kilocalories of energy per fat free mass and uh, that was a very complex parameter to try and define we know the um, formula energy availability equals energy intake so what we eat in terms of food minus the energy we spend in exercise and then we define that per kilogram of fat free mass kilocalories per kilogram of fat free mass and that clinically in my practice i wasn't able to do that people don't really know very well what their energy intake is and we're not very good at recall number one number two people aren't always truthful about their recall and then in a busy clinic to try and say well how much of this did you eat and did you add mayonnaise i mean it's just not clinically practical to do that but more importantly, um, what we found in free living individuals, so not individuals living in a laboratory setting, is that that 30 um, um, measurement and that threshold to say above is healthy and below is red actually isn't true. Each body system has a different threshold. Males and females have different thresholds. And over time, in, in someone's lifespan, that threshold will change. And so measuring according to a threshold and using formula to diagnose REDS is not feasible. So we really put a fair bit of emphasis in this consensus statement to encourage clinicians to be practical. Look at the signs and symptoms that you're seeing, rule out other potential causes, and then implement the REDS-CAT2, which is our new clinical assessment tool, and you'll have a diagnosis. In this case with Sam, with his bone stress injury, you'd want to make sure he had no other causes of bone stress injury, a biomechanical issue, an under, underlying medication he's taking that interferes with bone health or an underlying bone abnormality. So once you've ruled out those things and then you're looking at some of the other parameters, you can use the clinical assessment tool that we publish to help diagnose. Perfect. And I think sometimes some of those things coexist, making it even more complex. The training area with some reds uh, and other elements that probably means that we can't be as simplistic with our patients and embracing the complexities, probably the beauty of the roles that we play. With Sam, again, in mind, with regards to prognosis and working out how risky an individual might be within this category, do we have ways that the consensus statement can help us there? Yes, we certainly do. We are able to categorize the risk with the new clinical assessment tool. Uh, this clinical assessment tool is really simple and practical for all sport docs to use. And it's designed to be used functionally, not by an expert in REDS, but by team docs or sport docs in their clinic. So the first step of our clinical assessment tool is a three-step tool. Step one is using, if say we have a whole team or a mass population of athletes, using specific screening questionnaires 
that are relevant to your sports setting. So that might be the LEAF or L-E-A-F-Q for females, the lean Q for males. There's others out there, the EDQ, which is an eating disorder screen, SCOF, which is another eating disorder screen. They're all listed in the clinical assessment tool. So that's number one. And from there, you'll identify those athletes particularly at risk. With those athletes that you've identified, is step two. That's the clinical workup. That's doing specific blood tests or examinations to find certain criteria, and those are listed in the clinical tool. Then you move on to step three, which is the clinician diagnosis, risk stratification, and treatment recommendations. So three easy steps. Back up into step two for a moment. We actually will now, after you've gone through this, we provide you with a calculator. You put all the things you find into the calculator and out from the end of the calculator will come up whether your athlete that you've input their data is in one of four color zones or a risk severity zone. So if you put all of these things into the calculator, say their, their estrogen level, their menstrual status, these are the kinds of parameters that we have identified. Then if your athlete is identified in the green zone, they don't have reds, they're healthy, that's wonderful, there's no treatment needed. We've now introduced a fourth color in our risk stratification prior. It was green, yellow, and red, and we've now added in orange. So if they're in the yellow category, they have a few of these indicators of reds. And so they have reds, but it's mild. If they're in the orange, they have more of these indicators and more intense treatment is required. If the athlete is in the red area, the red zone, they're quite severely affected by their energy deficiency and more in-depth treatment and support are required. So it's really quite nicely laid out into these categories. Now, how we came up with these indicators or these, we looked at things like scientific evidence for that particular indicator, the validity, of the testing to identify that indicator and the feasibility and usability within practice. So is it available? Is it affordable? Is it something that docs can actually order in their office? So those are the kinds of things we looked at and we split them into primary indicators, severe and regular, secondary indicators. So the primary ones get more points in the calculator, the secondary ones, less points, and then we list some potential indicators that we don't assign points, but there's enough evidence to say, if you see these things, you should be thinking about REDS. The beauty is that we provide a nice scoring tool that physicians can use. It's an Excel spreadsheet that you can in plug your athlete's parameters and it will risk stratify for you so you don't have to calculate anything. A nice, practical, easy to use tool that we validated prior to publication. It's like baking a cake of the reds. I like following formulas. It's going to make me look very clever. So I thank you and your co-authors for that. Look, I'm seeing Sam again next week in clinic. I'm, I'm pretty confident of managing their bone stress fracture after listening to other great BHSM podcasts on it. But how should I go about planning the management of Sam's reds factors and also preventing this scenario happening again for Sam? I think that's the golden rule for him here. I think that's absolutely key. And thanks for having that approach. Because, in fact, prevention is super important. Um, 
and really in prevention and, and, and helping him get better and preventing further complications. It's a team effort of the entire ecosystem, although it is with you and him directly as a physician-patient relationship. I think that sport organizations need to take some responsibility at changing sport rules that affect athlete decision-making around their eating and training body and body composition measurement. Why is poor Sam being measured weekly with skinfold measurements? I mean, my goodness, that is not okay. And I think a sport organization should have body composition measurement guidelines and policies and procedures because that to me is one of the underpinning causes of why Sam is losing so much weight. And why is the coach managing weight? Um, weight is a health issue. It's not necessarily a performance issue. And um, uh, I think there's some clear sport organization parameters that you as a physician can advocate with your sport leadership to say, your sport is not healthy in your current policies and procedures, and you can influence that. We have guidelines on measuring body composition. It's, uh, we talk about who should be doing it, when it should be done in the athlete's uh, year, how to conduct it, what kind of uh, parameters are most effective to use. And we also talk about privacy, security, and consent. And we do not recommend body composition measurement under the age of 18 unless a physician's doing it for medical reasons. So Sam is 16. So according to our guidelines, he should not even be having body composition measurement. So that's one in terms of prevention that I think really would go a long way. For the athletes, coaches, and officials, I would really encourage everyone to have a health first, performance second approach. And if we have that approach, if you have a healthy individual, they will perform better. And so health first, performance second, that cultural shift within the entire athlete performance team will help prevent the pressure to strive for unhealthy body composition goals or unsustainable physiques that are not appropriate. You know, no one ever won a gold medal for being skinny or looking great in sport. You win the medal by performance and not everyone has to have the same body composition or physique to win the medal because some people don't fit the mold and they do really well in sport. So it's about health first, performance second. And I think all of your members of your health and performance team should be equipped with the clinical approach to manage him. And I think in our consensus statement, you'll find the treatment guidelines to help prevent further health concerns with REDS. So we have a separate actual prevention and treatment paper that supports and underpins the consensus statement. And I believe there's a separate BGSM podcast on this since I can refer your listeners to deeper dive into those prevention and treatment parameters that I'm alluding to in my presentation with you today. I think you can do the job of hosting the podcast and being the guest. That's a perfect segue. <laughs> Letting everyone know there will be other podcasts to supplement this overview where we can go in a little bit of a deeper dive, as you say, into some of these areas. Thank you so much for giving the BGSM community that overview. Whilst you're on the line, are there any last points you'd like to give? Yeah, I think there is one last point I would really like to emphasize, and particularly for Sam, that remember the first line of treatment in REDS is to actually treat the cause, which is the energy availability. So fuel. For Sam in particular, and for all their athletes, it's about improving their energy availability. And that is not done through medication. That's not done through policies and procedures. That's making sure that your athlete has enough fuel to match the energy output. Majority of the cases, you're going to approach that through a dietary manipulations. In some cases, you may need to decrease their energy output um, through decreasing their training load. 
Good luck with Sam. You've got some work to do. And with these new clinical tools and recommendations in the consensus statement, I'm sure you'll get Sam back to sport in a much healthier state. And by the way, he'll feel better and he'll be performing much better. I feel like you're my performance coach. Thank you very much for your time on the podcast. It's been really useful and some powerful messages, Margot. My pleasure, Liam. And thanks to all the listeners. Um, look forward to seeing you translate our work into practice with your athletes. Thanks to you, the listeners. And as was mentioned, you'll be able to access further in-depth podcasts on Reds over the next few weeks by the BGSM and also access the papers on our website. You can engage with us on our various social media channels. I hope you get to have a physically active, well-feeling day.